0: Hi, this is Chad Dull. Welcome to my Poverty Informed podcast. On Friday night, uh, my son, who's 15, and my daughter, who's 18, um, took me to a vigil uh, to honor George Floyd and to uh, support people in our community who were hurting because of events like that and, you know, and others. Um, And I was nervous about going because of the pandemic and being near a crowd, but uh, the kids convinced me it was important and they were right. Uh, I went there realizing as a middle-aged white guy uh, that mostly my job was to be an ally and to listen. Um. And so that's what I did, and I found it to be uh, moving on a number of levels, just uh, sad and also inspiring uh, because this event was led by young people, and there were hundreds of young people organizing and kind of crying out and and really expressing the need for change. Um, And I think, you know, there's there's power to change. Um, There has to be. And it got me thinking about change and kind of two frames that i've always wrestled with on it that notion of helping one person at a time maybe being the best you can do there's the parable about throwing one starfish back into the ocean at a time and you've made a difference for that starfish even if you can't save them all versus a perspective of changing policy and changing systems to help large groups of people Um, and the more veteran i get in my work i understand the power of that policy side although I don't want to lose the humanity of that one-person-at-a-time piece. So, it made me think about something I wrote uh, about that dilemma, about policy, uh, in January, and I'd like to share it today. It's called Poverty-Informed Practice in Higher Education, The Problem with Policy. For the last year or so, I have a habit of using a certain slide when I present to groups. It's something I heard someone say at Amarillo College's Poverty Summit in May of 19, and it stuck with me. The slide says, we must love our students more than we love our policies. As I ask people to get comfortable with uncomfortable realities like our student rates of success, I'm often drawn back to this notion of what do we love more. And if we truly choose to love the people we serve more than we love our policies and rules, well, what does that mean in practice? I mean, what does that even look like? See, this part of my presentation always gets mixed reactions. There are, of course, nodding heads and smiles as people picture a situation which might have gone differently. But there's also always a sense of discomfort, and frankly, maybe even disapproval I can feel in the room. I've spent a lot of time thinking about why that is, um, and I'd like to try to explain. First, let me say, i get it i get the uneasiness when we start looking at policy my job is vice president of academic affairs which means i have responsibility for a large number of policies Uh, in fact one of my tasks for the next year is to review all academic policy for my college with my team colleges are large complex organizations and policy and procedures procedures are needed to keep us open and able to do the work we do. So I think some folks get nervous when I start talking about students versus policy because they think I mean anarchy. But I'm really talking about embracing the gray areas and the difficulties of the work we do. In fact, last October, my colleague Josiah Latante and I had the opportunity to spend a day at the Minnesota State System Office It was early in my tenure and we were visiting with our Vice Chancellor we had a wide-ranging discussion and it touched on a number of topics as we kind of oriented to the Minnesota state system but we were particularly focused on the statewide initiative called Equity 2030 and in the course of that discussion we talked about reducing and eliminating achievement gaps and the barriers to doing so and I really can't remember who said it uh, so maybe we'll give credit to Josiah but eventually someone said policy was by design inequitable because policies tried to make blanket rules that treated everyone the same. We could quibble about the truth of the statement, but it seemed profound to me. If being poverty-informed is an equity-minded approach, we need to consider our policies and our use of them very carefully. So I think we find our next point of discomfort right there. You see, policy can save us from personal pain. See, it's not fun to make a decision which impacts someone else negatively, or at least I hope it isn't. I'm spending a week right now analyzing appeals from students who struggled academically, were suspended, and want to return to school. The college policies on this are pretty clear, and if I wanted to, I could use those policies as the reason I'm choosing to take away someone's opportunity to go to school. That's what I mean when I say policy can save us from pain. The simplest thing would be to figure out if students were in compliance with the policy and then decide if the student deserved to be reinstated. Well, anyone who's listened to any of my podcasts or I read any of my writing knows I hate the idea of deserves. So I agonize over these decisions. I don't know if I get them right, but I think I'm obligated to live in that discomfort and look for the spaces in between our policies if those spaces support students, particularly Students who are built on norms that might not match ours. In a business like education, we can't run things strictly off flowcharts and decision trees. If we could, we could just be automated. I would argue gray area decisions are what make us professionals, those difficult decisions where we have to wrestle with outcomes mentally and emotionally. So I think asking people to love students more than policies can make people uncomfortable because owning the consequences of our decisions is difficult. I agree, it's hard, but I believe a poverty-informed college commits to being in that difficult space. There's a Nietzsche quote that I like that says, mistrust those in whom the urge to punish is strong. And I, it makes me think about people in education who ideally would be there for the right reasons, but I think we know that just isn't always true. So I think there are some darker reasons people attach to policy without evaluating it for equity or fairness. These reasons might include wanting to just be in control of others from a position of power and using policy to do so. I sincerely hope this is a small number of people, but I've run into it personally, so it seems worth bringing up. This tends to manifest in a mentality that people have to earn what they get. And when they don't, we talk about their lack of commitment or their lack of grit. This particular branch of bad policy use is very dangerous, in my opinion, because we can always couch it in words like, it's just policy. On a micro level, this can look like course requirements for students, which ask more of students than we would ever ask of staff. On a more macro level, it can look like policies built on middle-class norms that make students in the crisis of poverty other And deficient by definition so when they fail it's their fault. A policy which puts blame on the less powerful is a very convenient way to absolve ourselves of responsibility for helping. The poverty-informed approach I'm advocating for has a default to helping and an ownership culture as opposed to absolution through policy. Dr. Donna Beagle challenges challenges us to look at policy and assess if the policy supports students or punishes students. I would agree her approach is a great place to start assessing policy and how you implement it. Reconciling loving students, equity, policy, and being poverty-informed isn't easy. I don't think it ever will be, but it is what is required if we wanna add humanity to our organizations in the way I think we should. My friends at Amarillo College have a talent for finding a turn of phrase worth envying, Uh, and I'll admit a little, I do have some envy, but love your students more than you love your policies is just about a perfect summation. It acknowledges the need for norms to run a large complex organization while challenging us to look at policy through an equity lens. I would say it pushes us to go even further. It not only gives us permission to make exceptions to policy, it challenges us to examine policies and see if they're helping us move where we actually want to go. Policy at a poverty-informed college might look very different than what we are used to. In fact, I would expect it to, given our current results. Thinking about the work of building policies like these and living with the exceptions gives me excitement and anxiety at the same time. And as I get comfortable being uncomfortable, I suspect those feelings mean I'm on the right track.